You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And the Chicago Bears somehow, some way, sit 3-0 on the season, undefeated. And for all those haters out there that said the Bears would be going 3-13, well, there's a giant middle finger up in the air for you because the Bears are 3-0. And for me personally, I'm going to say this is really the best case scenario that the Chicago Bears could be. And we'll get to that in a second. We got a guest coming up today, Olin Krutz, former Chicago Bear analyst on 670 The Score. Great offensive lineman. Really excited to have Olin on the podcast. We're going to be talking about the switch to Nick Foles. We're going to be previewing the Colts game. I'll ask him about that Devin Hester quotes about Jay Cutler. Plenty to get to there. And, of course, we'll talk offensive line with Owen because you have to talk offensive line with Owen, get his take on what he's seen so far. But let's let's not bury the lead. Let's go right into it with the Chicago Bears and their victory over the Atlanta Falcons and, of course, how they did it. And that is a ballsy move by Matt Nagy going to Nick Foles, not even at halftime, in the third quarter. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Mitch Trubisky, Everyone who listens to this podcast knows my stance on Mitch Trubisky. I'll give you the quick summary. I was all in supportive of the kid for two and a half years. By the time we got halfway through last season, a little earlier, I think it was the Saints game where I had had enough. It just, to me, year three, so critical in in quarterback play. We just didn't see it there that it was over. It was time to move on. Trubisky, even if he developed into something, wasn't going to be more than a below average you know, 20 to 25 kind of quarterback in the NFL. I thought that was his ceiling at that point, and that's just not good enough, so there's no point to continue to pretend. He wasn't, you know, grasping the concepts of the offense. He wasn't reading a defense quick. You know, he wasn't processing a defense quickly enough. He wasn't pre-snap reading defenses accurately enough. We, We understand everything that was going on with Trubisky. I understand great kid, great leader, all that stuff, but just what was happening on the field just wasn't wasn't gonna cut it. Mitch Trubisky is going to be a backup in the league for a couple of years. And if he starts figuring it out, then, yeah, he's going to have another shot to start two, three, four, five years down the line. But look, there's a chance that he's going to go the way of Blake Bortles, that he's going to go the way of Jake Locker, that he's going to go the way of Christian Ponder. There is a distinct possibility that that's going to happen. And if it does, that's too bad because, you know, like I said, Mitch is a great guy and he's the type of guy you want to succeed. 
but it just was not going to happen in Chicago. They did everything they could. I truly believe that. They did everything they could. The people they put around him, the coaches they put around him, get him weapons, try and get him tight ends. You know, did Trey Burton work out? No, but Trey Burton still had a pretty good first year. You know, Allen Robinson is there. He's, he's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. They, they, they did everything they could. I think the offensive line was pretty good. I understand it took steps back last year. I still am a believer in Nagy and his offense. Everything they could for Mitch Trubisky. It just didn't happen. So, wanted to get that aside because I don't want this podcast to keep talking about Mitch Trubisky. As far as I'm concerned, Nick Foles might get hurt. And if Nick Foles gets hurt, Mitch Trubisky's going to play. But if Nick Foles stays upright and healthy this year, Mitch Trubisky is not going to play this season. I firmly believe that. I think Nick Foles will be adequate enough. You know, I'm not a huge Nick Foles fan, but he will be adequate enough to keep this offense going at least to a point where there's going to be no need to go back to Mitch Trubisky. Again, if Foles gets hurt, which is always a possibility with Nick, then yeah, we'll see Trubisky. But I don't think we're going to see Trubisky again this year, and I definitely don't think Mitch Trubisky is on this roster in 2021. If anyone's still holding out hope, diminish it now, uh, distinguish it now. Mitch Trubisky is not going to be on this team anymore. That ship has sailed. It was a swing and a miss, and, and the Bears have to get past it as an organization and as a team. Now, the move to Nick Foles was really surprising to me. Not that, not that they made the move, but that they made the move mid-game. You know, they gave Trubisky shots in those first two games. He looked okay. We And I, I'll be honest, and I've said this before, he looked better in those first two games than I expected. I didn't expect much. I'm not saying he looked amazing, but better than I expected. But we get into this game here against Atlanta. It just wasn't happening for Mitch in the Atlanta game. They were buried. And certainly, moving to Foles, I did not think was going to get spark them to win the game like that. That was a tall, tall order. But, I mean, bringing in Nick Foles like that energized the offense, energized the defense. And look, watching Nick Foles play, I'm not going to pretend that he's Patrick Mahomes. I'm not going to pretend that he's Dan Marino. But some of those balls, that 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 fourth down pass to Ted Ginn, you know, the idea that he had with 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 Miller saying that there's going to be an all-out blitz run to the L, you know, that that type of stuff, that's just great to see from your quarterback. And look, that's just something we weren't getting from the quarterback. You know, look, watching those those big throws that happened during the comeback, the Allen Robinson touchdown where he broke a couple tackles, to me, that's really the only throw that Mitch Trubisky could have made. And I know Mitch Trubisky's made some big throws. And that's, oh, well, you got hit the throw against Washington. Oh, yeah, this throw and that throw. I get it. I'm not saying Mitch Trubisky can't make a throw like that, but like the Gin play, there's there's timing and, and there's other. It's not just about being accurate. It's about when you throw it, reading reading the defense appropriately, making those throws, everything that goes into it. I only think Trubisky could have made the throw to Allen Robinson. I really do. I think Foles is going to open up this offense in a lot of different ways. We lose the Trubisky mobility, which which stinks. Nick Foles is pretty much a statue back there, but the. Other things that Foles is going to be able to bring in, how they're going to be able to change up the offense, do the things that Matt Nagy is going to want to do, I think is an exciting thing as, as a Bears fan to see what's going to be coming here in the next two to three weeks. And, and look, that's fine. We're going to get finally, finally, for you Matt Nagy criticizers, you're going to have an opportunity to look at Matt Nagy and really know what his offense is. And again, Nick Foles isn't very good. I don't think Nick Foles is an amazing quarterback. Nick Foles has his moments. I mean, he's a Super Bowl MVP. We know Nick Foles can have his moments. The one thing I do love about Nick Foles 
is his ability to convert on third downs and fourth downs. And not just against Atlanta. This is what Nick Foles does. When it's third and six, you have confidence that Nick Foles is going to get that first down. That's the type of player he is. You didn't get that with Trubisky. Those third down conversions these first few games, they weren't very good. The Bears did not have a really great conversion percentage on third down. That should change with Foles. That's something Foles brings to the table. But Foles is inconsistent, and we saw it. We saw the, the full Nick Foles against Atlanta. We saw a great comeback and a clutch, clutch game from Nick Foles, but in the body of that comeback were still some interceptable balls, Aaron passes, you know, taking sec- you know, like the, the stuff that's going to drive you nuts throughout 16 games we saw with Nick Foles, but we still saw the guy that can win Super Bowl MVP lead comebacks, do the type of things that that need to happen. So while I don't think Nick Foles is a great quarterback and he's not going to suddenly turn this offense into a top five offense, Nick Foles is going to be able to execute the offense enough that an objective Bears fan can watch the offense and go, oh, wow, okay, so this is how this is supposed to look. And this offense will be a lot better. And if they get a better quarterback than Nick Foles, this offense could really hum. But if it doesn't, if it's still flat, if they're still struggling to get to 20 points on a regular basis, again, even with Nick Foles and his inconsistencies, if Matt Nagy is the offensive schemer and the offensive mind that many think he is, that's not going to be an excuse anymore. Because even if it is Foles' execution, well, that's a guy that Matt Nagy picked. Ryan Pace picked Mitch Trubisky. Obviously, that was before Matt Nagy even got here. Ryan Pace is, uh, Trubisky is Pace's guy, that we know. So Trubisky didn't work out. They knew it was trending that way last season. So Pace, Nagy, Laser, Flip, the whole group together went, and, and again, there were there were factors. You know, Cam Newton. Could Cam Newton, have, if it was a normal offseason, would Cam Newton have been in the mix? Maybe, but maybe not. We, we don't know exactly what would have happened if there wasn't a pandemic because you couldn't get to Cam Newton in March and really give him a thorough examination. That was going to have to wait till the summer. The Patriots just waited it out and got Cam Newton dirt cheap, and Cam Newton's been pretty good for him. So it's not that Nick Foles was the best quarterback available, but based on the situation with the pandemic, based on knowledge of the offense, based on skill set, based on the fact that Nick Foles is a cerebral guy, which we know Matt Nagy likes, he praises Alex Smith all the time, Alex Smith's number one attribute is that he's a cerebral guy. So Nick Foles fits that category for Nagy. That's the kind of quarterback he wants. That's the quarterback he picked. So if this offense does not work under Nick Foles, whether it's Matt Nagy's offensive play calling, whether it's Matt Nagy's scheme, or whether it's Matt Nagy's decision to go out and get Nick Foles, the problem with the offense will now fall on Matt Nagy one way or the other. So we'll see what happens here moving forward. But that was a ballsy decision to do it then. You would think a lot of coaches would have just taken the L against Atlanta, said it wasn't there, and then moved to Nick Foles against the Colts. But that's not what Nagy did. He said, I am giving up on this game. And Foles came in and, you know, the rest is history. What I will say is, to me, that defense looked energized after Nick Foles came in and I said that a lot last year, that I kind of felt the defense might have been flat because they were feeding off the vibes of the offense. And when I said things like that, a lot of people came out to me, oh, these defenses are professionals. 
They shouldn't, uh, what the offense does shouldn't matter, blah, 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 blah. The defense is their people. They're humans. They have thoughts. They have feelings. And yes, they're professionals and they're supposed to be playing 100% all the time. But I'll be honest, if you just busted your butt and made a great defensive stop and got the ball to the offense and then the offense goes three and out or turns the ball over on the second play or whatever it might have been and you're trotting back out there, you don't think there's going to be levels of frustration. You don't think there's going to be levels of fatigue. Everything that goes into it just wears you down emotionally and mentally. That's going to happen. And that offense was so anemic so much last year that it was just an inevitability that that was going to happen to that defense. I, I really felt so. And, and just kind of looking at this here, I think the defense was energized. I think the defense is going to have a lot more confidence moving forward. I think the defense is going to sit there and go, we can take some chances because if we go for an interception and it turns out to be a big gain for the for the opponent or a touchdown for the opponent, that we're not going to be so tight and worried that we can't do those kind of things because we're afraid our offense, if we if we bury them in a 7-0 hole, that we're going to lose. With Nick Foles out there, I think this defense is going to have more confidence that they can take some chances and do some things defensively. Pagano, whether he's going to dial up some more blitzes, Eddie Jackson taking more risks, whatever it might be, I think those opportunities might be there now because I think the defense may have a different mindset. Maybe I'm wrong. We're going to see a lot here in the coming weeks here as the Bears have some tough opponents. Colts are no slouch. We know what the Buccaneers are. And then, you know, week seven, eight, nine coming up here, they've, they've got some tough opponents as well. They got Tennessee coming up. They got the Saints coming up. So we're going to see who this Bears team is here for the next month or two. They had a really great opportunity to get off to a good start, and they did. 3-0 and and making the switch to Nick Foles, to me, is the absolute best-case scenario for this team. So we will see if uh, if this comes together as much as it potentially could for this team. Because, look, 3-0 and now, you're talking about seven teams making the playoffs out of the NFC. The Bears really only have to go 6-7 and seven the rest of the way to most likely make the playoffs. That's really all they need to do. If they go 7-6, and six, a 10-6 and six team, you know that's a lock to make the playoffs. And the way the Vikings and Detroit have looked, it's already a two-horse race in the NFC North. So now the, the Packers have looked good, and the Packers have looked better than the Bears. So I'm not sitting there and locking it in, but maybe the Bears here can start hitting their stride, because I don't think they have yet. All right, en enough about me, enough about my analysis of the game. Let's get to a pro's pro. Olin Krutz, at Olin underscore Krutz, analyst for 670 The Score, former Chicago Bear. We're going to get him on here coming up in just a couple minutes right after this break. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman will be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for our next guest. Was nice enough to jump on last year. Nice enough to jump on again this year. He is a all-time great Chicago Bear. He is former offensive lineman, now current Bears analyst, Olin Krutz. Jumps on now. Olin, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm good, Bill, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for jumping on. And let me, uh, let, let me not bury the lead here. Let's, uh, let's jump right into, obviously, the, the big story of the uh, week against uh, Atlanta. And that, of course, is Nick Foles jumping in for 
uh, Mitch Trubisky. Now, I don't know, you know, maybe you make a move like that at halftime, but he jumps in and Nagy makes that move, you know, partially, partially through the third quarter. How surprised were you? Let's start there. How surprised were, were you that Nagy made this move mid-third quarter? Honestly, I, I wasn't very surprised. I figured Foles – I thought Foles would be starting by week five or six just because if you look at the stats, Mitch Trubisky, the last 22 games, I think the Bears have averaged 18 points a game. Coach Nagy had to change his whole identity for Mitch Trubisky to do – to fit Mitch's strengths, really. And I think at some point, Coach Nagy said, I'm just done watching this. I'm done watching the eye formation, the run, running the ball, the boots, the short passes. I want to I want to get into what I see this Kansas City Chiefs doing with Mahomes, uh, what the Eagles do with Wentz, although they haven't been doing it extremely well this year. But I just think when I was reading, it's funny, Bill, I was reading Coach Nagy's quotes last week, and everybody kept talking about we have an identity. We finally have an identity. Mitch says we're comfortable with our, our identity, the offensive line, the running game. We can lean on them. And Coach Nagy ended with, yeah, but we have a bunch of other things we can do if need be, right? So you just feel him saying, like, this is not what I want to be doing. So I think if he was going to go down, he's going to go down with Nick Foles being his quarterback. So um, I think eventually they were going to get to here. And when they got to that, that point in the game against the Falcons, it had been three-quarter against the Lions, the offense looked terrible. It was a whole half against the Giants, the offense looked terrible. And now it was another whole half against the Falcons, who aren't very good defenses. Looked really bad, and Coach Nagy just had enough. And and I'm I'm glad the way you, you put that about how how Nagy hasn't been able to create the offense that he wanted to create because I think a lot of people have kind of seen that, especially last year. You know, the first year with Trubisky and everyone was kind of getting used to each other, but especially last year and coming coming into this year. So with with that being said, and that and that kind of understanding of that, uh, and just last one on this competition, then I'll move into more of the, the game and everything. With, with Trubisky beating out Foles in, in the competition, and both of them from, from the reports that I saw were, were pretty underwhelming, do you think it was more of giving Trubisky one last shot, or do you think it was more of maybe tr because of the bizarre offseason with the pandemic that Nick Foles wasn't ready? I, I think, as you know, I think the biggest thing was, even if it had the offseason, I think obviously the ten, only having 10 practices, it's hard to beat out an incumbent starter with only 10 practices and no preseason game. Obviously, the, 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 off, the odd offseason really factored into it. But there's a reason Mitch Trubisky went number two in the draft. When he is in a practice situation and no one can hit him and, he, and it's structured and he knows what the defense is going to do, he looks really good, right? He, he's got a strong arm. He runs really well. What is Nick Foles' strengths? It's, it's game time adjustments. It's recognizing what the defense is doing to him. Uh, it's processing information, talking to players like he told uh, Miller before the play. They're going to all out blitz here. This is the situation. This is what Raheem Morris does. When we're past the 50, in this situation, he's coming after me. Get to the L. That's the kind of stuff Nick Foles does that he wouldn't do in practice. Now, going into the season, anybody who watched Foles and Mr. Trubisky play, you would just say Foles is the better quarterback. What are they doing? You have all the film you need. You have 40 games from both guys. Just play them. So why they didn't, I'll never know. But I would just imagine that Mr. Trubisky looked good at practice like he usually does, and, and that's why he won the job. Gotcha. And, and, and you brought up, you know, just there about Nick Foles, and then, you know, we, we heard about that run of the L and, and that ball will be there for you to Miller on the game-winning touchdown. And 
you know, Matt Nagy is not shy about talking about how much he loved coaching Alex Smith. And I think the, the one similarity, the number one similarity between Smith and Foles is that they're both a very cerebral quarterback. And I, I think Nagy really likes that. And look, we, we know that Trubisky's biggest issues have been, you know, like, like you said, getting that game situation, you know, reacting in, in the appropriate time, reading the defense, you know, having the full understanding of everything that's going on around him. So with, with that being said, that Foles, you know, should have a much better grasp in that area. What kind of things do you think Matt Nagy is going to try and do now with, with Foles under center? I think he's going to give them a lot of check with me plays, right? And, and he's, he's going to count on Foles to put them in positions to succeed. So by that, I mean, you go to the line of scrimmage with a runner pass or pass or two passes or two runs. And he's going to look over the defense and he's going to check to what play benefits the Bears the most. So it's almost like having the offensive coordinator on the field and, you, and Coach Nagy totally trusts him. And this is when you watch Mahomes play or think about even not Alex Smith, okay? Go, uh, Nagy's only been around Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, Smith, and Patrick Mahomes. So these are the quarterbacks he's used to. So when I, when I always think to myself, Bill, okay, what does Coach Nagy want his offense to look like? I turn on the Kansas City Chiefs film. Obviously, they have so many weapons, and it's ridiculous watching them. But I watch Mahomes get to the line of scrimmage, call out who the front is, uh, organize his protection, and put the Chiefs in the best play against whatever look the defense is giving them. That's what they want from Foles. That's the kind of offense they want to run. And they want, they want Foles to process a ton of information in the pocket like he did against Atlanta, like he does all the time. His problem is just staying healthy. And, and that's the kind of offense that Coach Nagy imagines. And that's not what Mitch Trubisky gives you. All right, last one on, on the quarterbacks here before we move into some other things. You know, you, you said if Nick Foles stays healthy. So – if Nick Foles does indeed stay healthy, has Mitch Trubisky taken his last snap as a Chicago Bear? Yes, uh, definitely. He's taken his last snap. I, I, don't, I don't think Mitch Trubisky has taken his last snap as a Chicago Bear. But if you put it that way, if, if Nick Foles stays healthy, then Nick Foles is the starting quarterback for the rest of the year. All right. Now, let me, let me – I want to get some offensive line with you, obviously, but let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. I had uh, John Moon Mullen on the podcast last week, and he voiced a lot of concerns about the defense, that kind of there was something missing. And he, he, couldn't quite, he couldn't quite materialize it. He couldn't quite put a, his finger on exactly what was what's happening. But in terms of trying to get it back to that 2018 defense, that dynamic elite defense, he just said, you know, there just wasn't that – with the, the playmaking ability, whatever it was, it was just – missing now do you agree with that assessment through the first two and a half games and do you think that when Foles came in and that comeback started the defense looked energized okay it's all it's always hard um to knock a defense that's played at the level the Bears defense has played at for through the first three games right but I I, I get it <laughs> this uh this front seven I think we went into the season thinking they could be so dominant they could affect every game and you know, obviously what's missing? Eddie Goldman's missing, right? He, he opted out. Uh, Leonard Floyd is not there anymore. And people may not like Leonard Floyd. It may not have liked his pass rush, which Quinn provides. But Leonard Floyd did play good run defense, okay? So now you have two very good run defenders missing from a defense. So you got, you got to move Bilal Nichols to the nose. You got to move Roy Robinson Harris into the five technique, which he's not, he's not terrible, but he's not an extremely good run defender. And now you got... Because Quinn is injured, he's not a good run defender anyway. 
Arquivius Mingo's got to play the other uh, outside linebacker. And then Trevathan has seen it taking a step back this year. And now teams are just running right down their throat. I think between Agent Peterson, if I'm not mistaken, Todd Gurley and Saquon Barkley before he got hurt, starting running backs are averaging six yards a carry versus the Bears defense, which, which you would – if you came into this year, that's the last thing you would worry about because you think Eddie Goldman, Bilal Nichols, Akeem Hicks, Raquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, Robert Quinn, Khalil Mack. Well, we'll just line up – we'll line up and play coverage behind them because these guys are going to wreak havoc all day. Well, they really haven't. They really haven't wrecked havoc. And if you look at through the games, they've caught breaks just like the Bears offense has. You know, like um, the Falcons lost Julio Jones and then they lost Russell Gage. So there wasn't a lot of guys to cover out there. And I, I forget what their receiver's name was. It, it was uh, – um, his name is – I got to look it up. But uh, Matt Ryan missed him twice and he was wide open really for touchdowns at the end of the game against the Falcons. So a lot of things went their way. So you're just kind of waiting for this defense to come the front four to wreak havoc on people when they're on the field together, Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, Roy Robinson, Harris, and Quinn. And that really hasn't materialized. They haven't been terrible, but they haven't been that great defense we were hoping for. And, and I think a lot of people overlook the absence of, of, of Eddie Goldman. And, you know, the couple of times I've talked to Akeem Hicks, he cannot be more complimentary about Eddie Goldman, about how much he does on that, you know, defensive line to open up Hicks to do some of the things he does and, you know, I think you saw it right away. Adrian Peterson, those yards, those chunk gains were coming right up the middle of the defense. And we've seen Trevathan, we've seen Pagano trying to hide him more with Deion Bush and subbing in for him and, and doing some different looks. How much with the issues in the middle is it Goldman missing? And how much is it Trevathan who appears to be a step slow right now? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, right? Is it, is it the chicken or the egg? But uh, <laughs> when you watch the film, um, it's both, right? It's uh, sometimes Bilal Nichols is in uh, Trevathan's lap and he can't get to the play because the nose guard is getting pushed back. A lot of teams have run a gap counter play against them, which uh, Roquan being very aggressive has attacked the first move of the running back and the counters have got the two linebackers twice. My worry about Trevathan is not getting caught by counters and stuff. My worry is the first two games, he didn't look real physical he wasn't really taking on blocks. And then he, his change of direction didn't look really good. This last game, he, he actually was striking defenders. His block destruction looked a little better. He was using his hands better, but he was still getting stuck on blocks a little bit. But that goes back to like you're saying, which one is it? The blocks are now getting to him, which with Eddie Goldman, it didn't, right? So Frank Ragno, the Detroit Lions center, really dominated the middle of that line. And then they saw and – and he's a very good center, so – I don't want to overdo that part. But then they saw Mac last week, and Mac is also a very good center, although in his 12th year. But uh, I think it's both of them. And, and I think that now with Jenkins out, he, although Urban did look pretty good over the nose last week, uh, they're just looking for guys, man. They just don't have the bodies in there. If you want to play a 3-4 with a zero nose, they don't have the bodies in there. And I wonder eventually if they'll go more to an under, which I well, by under over, which I mean the nose guard shades one side of the center and they start moving a little more and you start seeing more run blitzes. We did see some of that with Kyle Fuller blitzing off the edge. Tayshawn Gibson made a few plays. So Pagano's kind of covering up for them. And then, Bill, you know what you see because of that? You see Calvin really running free down the field. So because of play action passes. So here's the things the Bears defense is really struggling with. And like you know, it always starts with stopping the run. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
Speaking of the run, let's jump to the other side of the ball. Let's let's get into to your forte, the offensive line, and and let's start here because the, you know, the execution and everything has definitely looked better from from last season. Let's let's start with with scheme and what the Bears were trying to do last year versus what Juan Castillo and and they're trying to do this year. What are the big differences you've seen that have helped this this offensive line look so much better? Uh, well, they've got a lot of three tight end looks, which to start the year, I don't even know if they had three tight ends last year, right? So they've got a lot of J.P. Holtz. Uh, Demetrius Harris has been a really nice pickup for them. Cole Komet. And in, uh, I have a – I watched the um, first play of the game last week against the Falcons. And, and just – if you just watch that play, you see everything they're doing different and why their run blocking is better. Uh, Demetrius Harris and Cole Komet do a double team, and it wasn't the greatest double team of all time. But – at the end of the play, they high-five, shake hands, and hug. That's how much – that's what the run game means to them. They, they did a good block, and, and they're totally into it, which is different in Trey Burton and Shaheen, right? Uh, Jermaine Effetti dominates the Atlanta D lineman. I don't know his name now, number 93. And uh, Jermaine Effetti has been a big pickup inside there. He looks really strong at right guard. And by strong, I mean strength-wise. I'm not saying his game is really strong, but um, he, he does a nice job with his one-on-one blocks. Cody Whitehair is playing a lot better inside. He's getting good blocks. But some of that bill is almost like everything else with the Bears this year. You're kind of waiting to see them play against a front that's completely healthy, like this week coming up against the Colts, and someone who's interested actually in stopping a run, which the Falcons were eventually just said, no, here comes our run blitzes. We're going to make you beat us by throwing the ball. And I don't remember exactly the numbers, but I think – Montgomery averaged under four yards a carry for the first time against the Falcons. And they just finally – it was it was fascinating to me. The Lions, Patricia, the, all, the all-time genius, just asked him. He, he was just giving them the run. Like, they would line up with three tight ends in goal line, and he was giving them a nickel defense and showing them 6-2. And then Graham came in for the Dolphins, another Belichick guy, and he did the same thing. You just give you guys a run and try beat us. And I don't think they thought Nagy would stick with it. And credit to him, he did. So I'm waiting to see them against a little better defense. Uh, you know, at the end of the game last week, Grady Jarrett goes out. That really helps them. But the O-line is definitely so far this year uh, playing better. Um, they're healthier, obviously. Last year, Kyle Long, right, was down. Um, Coward, uh, Ted Larson came in, supposed to be their backup guard center. He goes down. So now you got Rashad Coward, who was a defensive end, our defensive tackle in college playing right guard, and that really affected them. Fetty's been a big improvement, and they're just playing a little better and working a little better together. And James Daniels has taken another step also. So uh, it's been fun to watch. Just hope it continues. And, and actually, that was the, my next question was going to be about James Daniels because, you know, I think his rookie year when he stepped in, you know, a lot of people saw a lot of positives, and, and last year was really up and down. Do you, do you like how he's being utilized now? And can he grow into a, you know, 10-year guard, you know, where the Bears just don't have to worry about that position? Uh, I, I, I think – I'm on record saying I think James Daniels is, is, is going to be a very good player. Do I like the way he's being used now? I guess my answer is no, just because I still think he's a center. I think he can be a dominant center. I think they moved him last year because him and Mitch Trubisky – struggled making calls together. Mitch really struggles with calls and, and directing the offense and putting everybody on the right guys and all this. You know, I don't want to keep talking about Mitch. but um, So they moved Cody there to make Mitch more comfortable. 
That was that was their reason they said they moved James. So we'll see. You know, James is I think he's twenty one or twenty two years old. Uh, I think he's, he's got a, now, yeah. yeah, he's got a, a tremendous amount of talent. Uh, you know, his his legs and and you know butt are like he's like a movie screen. I mean, that guy <laughs> and that 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 if I watch that, I'm like, there's an offensive lineman who can move people, right? This guy can move guys. So uh, he does a really nice job with his hands. He's fun to watch. And Bill, to be honest with you, for this for this offensive line, I take another step. They need a guy to elevate his play to Pro Bowl or All Pro level, and and it's either going to be James or it's going to be Cody. So just kind of watching those two guys, and hopefully James can take a big step. I think James is more of an all-pro center than he is guard, but that's the way they have him lined up now, and, and it's working for them. Why do you think Daniels is, you know, what about his game makes him so much better suited for center? And you talked about the struggle of line calls. Is that simply just an inexperienced thing or someone who's played the position, obviously, as well as you have? Is that a challenge for a lot of centers to be able to make those calls at the line? Some, some guys can do it. I, I think some of that was just inexperienced for him. When, when a guy like Kirk Ferentz says you, says you should go to the NFL and you're ready for it and you can handle everything there, I have to believe him. I have to believe Coach Ferentz, uh, uh, you know, who coached O-line now for who knows how many years he coached O-line. I, I have to believe that, that James was making those calls in college. Now, obviously, the NFL game is 10 times faster. The players are 10 times better. And, and, and your, your clock speeds up. So you got to get used to that speed. Of, of what's going on on the field. And, and it'd be, if, when I started the film last year, I could see him missing some calls. I could see him missing some, uh, you know, I, I remember exactly one play, Cody, I see Cody call out the game. And uh, by game, I mean like a tackle, tackle game where the tackle comes and picks the center, the other tackle goes around. Um, and, and James didn't react to it. So those kind of awareness things you worry about. Uh, James makes one-on-one -on -one blocks at center that I don't – maybe one or two guys in the NFL can make. If you go back to the first Green Bay game last year, he blocked Kenny Clark all by himself one-on-one. -on -one. Not a lot of guys in the NFL do that. So uh, that kind of guy at center can really help your run game. Uh, he, he can – you know, if a center can block a guy one-on-one, -on -one, that opens everything up. So I'd love to see James move back at some point. Uh, but he obviously – I'm not in the building. He's going to have to show that he can handle the the, the – the direct, directing his other offensive alignment part, putting everybody on their block, recognizing blitzes, uh, recognizing what games are coming, uh, those things he's have to show he can do. And if he does, um, I think he can be a great center. He's, he's obviously a pretty damn good guard. But uh, the interesting thing about all that, what we're talking about is, that again, we go back to that's Foles' strength, right? So if you put uh, uh, James in front of Foles, to me, you strengthen your team, but I don't think they'll make that change now. Interesting. Uh, let, let me ask you really quick about the tackles because I think Charles Leno is a guy who is a, a target for a lot of Bears fans and, and they like yeah. to beat him up. And last year, I, I, I do think he wasn't quite as good as he was the year before. And I thought he was pretty dreadful before the bye, but I did think his play improved a lot more the second half of the season. Where, where are you on the tackles? Are, are you okay with Charles Leno at left tackle? And have you seen improvement from Massey as well? I think Bobby was hurt a lot of last year, wasn't he? I'd have to go back and look at exactly he what he up, had. Yeah. yeah, he was banged up a lot of last year. And, and, and here's, here's my, always my argument about uh, Leno and Massey, Bill. Um, I always have to go to – I always say to people, if you look at a defense end like Mac, you have to ask yourself how much he makes, and then you have to match money. Like you have to put as much money as you can on your side of the ball to block him, okay? So whatever they're playing – People, I don't know what they expect from Leno. He's a, I think he was a seventh-round pick. Yep. He's paid about the 16th 
they pay him. I think he's about the 16th or 17th highest paid left tackle in the league. Which would be when I watch when I watch him play, that's about what I see. The thing that bugs me sometimes is uh, a lot of his holding. He gets a lot of holding calls, or he gets a lot of penalties when he's not playing well. And and that's kind of to me. Um, if you're an average tackle, just don't put us behind the sticks. So that that's kind of wh- where I am with those two guys. They give me if I built a team. If I'm the general manager for the Bears, if I'm the offensive coordinator, they give me about what I expect out of them, right? I don't expect to see Tyron Smith out there. I don't expect to see Armstead for the Saints out there. I expect to see Charles Leno. If I want those guys, I got to go pay a left tackle $100 million or I got to draft them high in the draft in the first 10 picks. So I'm not getting one of those guys. There's only like four or five of those left tackles you're talking about alive in the NFL. They're like quarterbacks. Those guys just don't. You know, they don't, they, don't, they, they don't make those kind of guys too often. You've seen a lot of those guys go this year, Mecky Beckton, Werfs. You've seen them go early in a draft. Those are the kind of, like, you have to spend a pick on them, which the Chicago Bears have. And I always tell people, if you want to see why the Bears' old line has struggled, go back to about 98 when I was drafted and just go through all the years of draft picks the Bears have picked on the offensive line and tell me who's still there. You'll come up with Cody White here and James Daniels, and that's it. So there hasn't been a lot of high picks, and the high picks haven't really worked out. Now, moving ahead here to the Colts game, and you kind of talked about how the defensive line can kind of be a measuring stick for this offensive line, and, you know, the Colts are are a solid squad. What what are you expecting in in this matchup? Do you think Nagy's going to be able to open up the offense, and do you think the Bears can uh, move to 4-0? Yeah, I I think that they're going to need a few turnovers to move to 4-0 first and foremost. Uh, this is a very good, very good team, well put together by Chris Ballard, uh, uh, the general manager. Uh, DeForest Buckner is a handful inside. They got him for the 49ers. They traded for him. Uh, Justin Houston is a problem on the edge, right? Their nose guard, Grover Stewart, who I haven't seen a ton of. I was watching him on film. He does a very nice job with his hands, gets up the field. Uh, they got Darius Leonard, a linebacker. Anthony Walker, they're just – they're a solid team. They're a good matchup, and, 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 I'm, and I'm excited for the Bears because everybody questions their 3-0, and and rightfully so, right? I mean, uh, the Swift had to drop the ball in the end zone against the Lions. Uh, they had to design that great play to Massey from the fourth and two for him to catch the ball. For them, for them to actually get to 3-0, and a bunch of cornerbacks had to get hurt for the Lions and the Falcons for guys to actually get open on the wide receiver side. So here we are. I think the, the Detroit – I think – I'm sorry, I think the Colts, they haven't played a lot of great teams, but I think they have the number one pass defense in the league right now. And, and it just will be interesting to see what, what the Bears actually are. They don't have a ton of injuries like the other teams they played. So the Bears get a chance to prove to everybody, and this is where you want to get to in 3-0. I remember in 2001, I think everybody kept saying how lucky we were. We were. You know, we had the two uh, – I don't want to go that far back. People probably forgot, but Mike Brown's interceptions for touchdowns. But that year, we did end up 13-3. and three. Uh, We did win a lot of games. So uh, this team is on kind of that track. Uh, things are breaking for them. They're staying healthy. And here's their first good matchup. And, and really, the, the offense has got a chance to prove with those matchups. The Forrest Buckner is going to be the best guy they face. It's going to be the best D-line they face. But also, I don't know about you, Bill, but I'm extremely excited to see the Colts' offensive line versus the Bears' defensive line. No, I, lo- I love watching Quentin Nelson. I think he, he's, he's a treat for anyone who likes offensive line play. And, yeah, I agree. I think that's going to be a, a critical matchup for, for in this game. Uh, before I let you go, i got to ask you one, one more thing. Uh, Devin Hester made some news 
um, saying, you know, talking about Jay Cutler. And, and I know you, you, you know these guys, you've played with these guys, and obviously you worked with Cutler for, for a couple of years closely. So Hester said basically he's got everything you want, except with leadership he's the worst. He doesn't know how to communicate. I, I don't know the exact quote, but that's basically what he said. For someone who's worked with Jay as, as closely as you did for those couple of years where you guys overlapped, is Cutler a poor leader or is Cutler kind of misunderstood? I think, I think that's always kind of the question that Bears fans always want to know about Jay. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. My, my problem with all of it was when Jay came in the building, it didn't take long to figure out that he was extremely talented. You could figure out exactly what he was from the first year he was there. Um, the general managers in, to me, who kept trying to push him into that leadership role, which wasn't his strength. It wasn't his forte uh, or, or the ones who made the mistake. You just, you build a good defense around a quarterback like that. Um, you let him, you run, you build a good offensive line, which we had a terrible offensive line when Jay was here. Um, you run the ball, let him boot, let him play action, let him use his skills. As far as leadership, when, when I was there, no, Jay wasn't a great leader, but a lot of guy, other guys, you'd have to ask uh, who played with him as the years went on. I heard Kyle Long say amazing things about him. Uh, Roberto Garza told me before that, that Jay uh, uh, really improved his leadership and the way he dealt with people. So for me to say what he was the whole time he was there, uh, I wouldn't really know. The, the two years I was there, uh, we all have to learn how to be leaders. Uh, he wasn't a great leader the two years I was there, uh, just doing things the right way and, and bringing guys along. But um, as far as him and Devin Hester, uh, Hester has to speak for himself. Um, but like I said, my opinion would be not when I was there, but I heard a lot of other guys say a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, glowing things about his leadership, how he changed, how he, how he brought teammates along, uh, especially Kyle Long. So it's kind of one of those things, a typical Jay Cutler story, right? You get uh, one uh, – 50% of people on one side and 50% of people on the other side. And I think, Bill, the disappointment really comes from, if you think about what the Bears, Jerry Angelo gave up for, for Jay, it's the same thing that they gave up for Khalil Mack. So that's the kind of guy you, you're expecting to get to walk in the building, Hall of Fame type player, right? So I think they gave up two ones and a three. And, and, and Jay just never really was that that level of an NFL football player. And I think that's where the disappointment comes from. All right. Well, that was a, a good, no, a good note to leave, uh, leave on. Here's Olin Krutz, Olin underscore Krutz on Twitter. If you don't follow Olin, you're making a big mistake, but I'm sure you all are anyway. Olin, thanks so much for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Have a good morning. All right. There he is. Olin Krutz. What, what a job by Olin. Some really, really great analysis. And what I love about Olin honest analysis. I think a lot of times, especially when, and I'm not saying just Chicago media, I'm saying media in general, you, you get to a lot of local media, they're afraid to be honest, to be critical, because they don't, you know, if they're a former player, they won't want to upset their friends. If they're a writer type or a, a TV broadcaster, they don't want to lose access. They don't want to piss off the team. So a lot of times I think you get measured analysis. I don't think that's the case with Olin. Olin will tell you what's on his mind, and I always appreciate that. And even, even him talking about Devin Hester's comments there about Jay Cutler. You know, did he 
you know, measure it a little bit and say, well, I wasn't there for Jay's whole tenure, so I don't know what Jay was like towards the end. Kyle Long said he was great. But he said, when I was around Jay Cutler, he was not a good leader. Olin just came out and said it. So I thought that was some interesting comments from Olin right there. He gives you a really honest opinion. He says James Daniel should be a center, not a guard. He really believes that. He thinks that the problem was Mitch Trubisky. You heard him, heard him say that. The, the move to Nick Foles, that Nagy was frustrated, that Nagy had had enough. You know, that you don't always necessarily hear that. And I think there was a lot of that, you know, relief. And I think Olin, as a former player, I think he also had, you know, some of that relief about moving from Trubisky to Foles. And look, I'll be honest, and I meant to say this at the beginning of the podcast. I'll, I'll say it here before we sign off. I was surprised about some of the comments that players and coaches made about Nick Foles in a way that it was a shot to me at Mitch Trubisky. And that's not the way Matt Nagy teams operate. And I'm pretty surprised to see that happen, to hear Jimmy Cram be like, oh, wow, this was a whole new world out there with Nick Foles under center and what he was able to do and how he he read a defense and how he had the offense executing. That's a shot at Mitch Trubisky. When you hear Mike Fury, the, the, the wide receiver coach, when you hear him saying, oh, this is going to be totally different now. What, what, you know, we're going to see over the shoulder throws and we're going to see all this amazing stuff and we haven't seen it before. That's a shot at Mitch Trubisky. I really, and there were a few others as well, I really was surprised because I know Mitch is well-liked in that locker room. I know they love Mitch Trubisky the person. They frustrated with Mitch Trubisky the quarterback? Absolutely, as they should be. But I'm still surprised that their love of Mitch Trubisky the person that the frustration over Mitch Trubisky, the player, bubbled over that. That and I was, you know, that's just not something you see from a naggy team like that. So that that was interesting to me. But I think again, Trubisky's in the rearview mirror. This is now Nick Foles' team. The Bears are three and zero, and let's see what Nick Foles can do. Let's see. Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace went all in on this year. They went all in on Nick Foles. They signed Robert Quinn. They signed older players. They committed to Trevathan instead of Kwiatkowski. They went older. They went 30 pluses instead of 27 and unders because they wanted to win this year. They're 3-0. The quarterback that the coach wanted is starting. It's time to see if the Bears are pretenders or if they're actually contenders. And this measuring stick here, these next two games, the Colts short week bucks is the perfect opportunity to see who this Chicago Bears team is. So we'll talk to you next week. Hopefully the Bears are 4-0. If they're 3-1, we're going to talk about it either way. Bear down, everybody. Bill Zimmerman here. Talk to you soon. Adios.